Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Hey guys, you all right? Good. Yeah, it's great to be here. And um, I might try the seat right now. I don't know. I don't know if it's just something to hurdle on or even to sit on it, but I'm going to have a little sit down. It's... Um, it's a real gift. It's a real gift to be here. Um, as John said, uh, Amy and my story with the garden begins pretty early in in your story. Oh, that's done now. We won't have to worry about that happening again. Um, begins <laughs> begins pretty early in your story. And actually, when we arrived, uh, I, I met Darren in 2003, I think uh, it was, at a summer camp called Soul Survivor in Newport Dunes. Uh, Amy and I got married in 2007 and 2008. We came back to work at Rock Harbor. Now, almost as, almost as we um, came in the door, um, Darren and Alex were being sent out and uh, to start this thing called the Long Beach Project, which I think then became uh, the church that, uh, that you are, which is incredible. Uh, it's great to be here amongst you guys, partly because we share that story, but also because we know some of you. I know many of you today were meeting for the first time, but loads of you we know. And in fact, I just walked in... Uh, just slightly late because I was fig- uh, trying to help with the kids outside. And I met Britt, an old friend of mine uh, who's part of this church. And uh, I think this is probably not very interesting to you, but it's very interesting to me. When we arrived at our apartment in 2008, we had this um, like truck full of, um, of um, stuff that just God had miraculously provided for us. See, we came out here sort of on a wing on a prayer with nothing. We had a backpack each and my golf clubs. And... Um, you know, just trusting for God's provision. <laughs> and all of a sudden, God did provide and loads of stuff for us. And um, we called up to the, the top apartment and to some young guys, some students who were kind of slobbing it, slobbing it up there. And we said, hey, can, can you help us? And sure enough, uh, Britt was one of the guys who came and helped us move all our heavy furniture in. So it's just, it feels like being amongst friends. Um, and I'm excited to be with you guys for four weeks. Um, and my hope really is that as we're together these next four weeks, we might go on a journey together. And um, I suppose, just to kind of let you know a bit about me and a bit about Amy and I, as John said, we're, we're really in, in transition at the moment, and we feel like we're launching into this huge adventure, um, which is planting a church in this area of the country called Nottingham. Nottingham is in um, sort of the, the middle, just to the east, uh, in England, and it's a fantastic city, really young city, 50,000 students, average age is about 33, um, and a huge opportunity to, to plant a church there. But honestly, uh, Amy and I just feel massively underqualified, massively out of our depth. We've never, re- we've, we've led things, but we've never led anything like a church, let alone planted a church. You know, what do you do? Like, where's the handbook? I mean, I haven't, nobody's handed it to me yet, you know? Um, so we're kind of right now just thinking through all of that. And so for us, it feels a gift to be here because we're going to be copying everything you do. <laughs> <laughs> Learning from you as much as we have something to give, we have far more to receive. I don't know about you, but when you go through these transition moments in your life, right, you may be coming to a new school or a new place, Maybe you're having your first child or maybe there's even the end of something. Maybe the end of a relationship that you lent on. 
Maybe you're experiencing grief. Maybe you're experiencing pain. Maybe you're waiting for something that you thought would happen and didn't. These moments in transition are significant for us. And what's significant, I think, about these moments of transition is that in transition are, how do I put this? What's really in us, the things that we really rely on are unveiled. Does that make sense? It's actually in transition that we figure out what we're really about. We can talk a good game and you know, show up at church, but when we're under stress, when we're kind of in, I suppose, pain sometimes, and when we're waiting for things, that's when what's really going on below comes out. I had a great, um, <laughs> I had a great sort of um, experience of this, I would say, just the other day, flying over on the plane. <laughs> if you've ever been on a plane uh, with four children for 11 hours... Just, to, just two of you to look after all of them. You know what it is to be totally overwhelmed. And what truly was in me was coming out, let me tell you. Uh, blame, impatience, anger, all of it. And this is kind of these moments of transition bring this up. And for me, honestly, what's been coming up has been a recognition that in my life, I have depended hugely on a desire to be perceived as and to demonstrate myself as somebody who is impressive, somebody who is successful. If I was really honest with this, I've been driven by this need. It's a need, a deep need to be successful, somebody who's building some kind of reputation. And actually, particularly my kind of I was gonna say my earlier 20s, I'm 30, almost 33. Honestly, it's still with me now. This sense of like, I wanna be somebody who's remembered after I die. That's horrendous, I know. Even to confess that to you feels just, ugh, gosh, it's so ugly. But that desire to be someone has driven me, has connected with that, this perfectionism, a desire then to use other people in relationships to leverage myself. Now, I would do it very subtly. You would never know it was happening. I'm good. <laughs> but that's in me. That is in me, that desire to do that. And, and with that, a sense of competition and comparison. I'm related to some successful people and successful in the world that I'm in as well, the church world. And, and so I would often be comparing myself with them and with, other, and with friends who are doing ministry as well. That's the foundation that I think many, for much of my life, I've been building on. What I want to ask this morning is, is there another foundation? Is there another way to live? You may not, your foundation may not be success. Maybe it is. Maybe your foundation is to build a platform of comfort. Maybe material comfort. Maybe to, to build your kingdom to build your bank balance so that you kind of can insulate yourself from stress and pressure. Maybe it's intellectual advancement. Maybe to get enough degrees. I know we're in a college town here. Maybe to get enough degrees so that, you know, the wall would be impenetrable, that you'd know enough to, to bat off any sense of threat or fear. Maybe relationally you've tried to build safety through a key relationship. Uh, you've been pursuing that marriage or that friendship or whatever it is. 
I don't know, there could be other scripts as well. I don't pretend to know the scripts, the dominant scripts in Long Beach, but there will be those scripts. And each of us is influenced by these sorts of things. These things aren't bad in themselves, but when they become the modus, the MO, the modus operandi, the raison d'etre, as the French would say, when they become the dominant theme, the narrative, the aim, the telos, the goal, when they become the kingdom we're seeking, they destroy us. They promise life and they deliver death. Is there another foundation? Is there another way to life as those of us who are at least checking out and investigating Christian faith, we have to say, yes, there is. And actually, what the Christian faith is promising to be is, is a way to experience life that by apprenticing, uh, by being apprentices to Jesus, he will lead us into a life that's truly life. That's the claim. What does that look like in practice? I wanna, I wanna sort of investigate that. I actually wanna do that for the next four weeks with you. But today I really wanna set the table and to look at what it might be. What, what might be the foundation for us to do this? What kind of language might we put around this? What might it look like in practice? So turn with me as we do that, if you would, to John chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you might wanna do that. This fourth book in the New Testament, the, the final in terms of how it's arranged in the scriptures, but probably also chronologically, John's gospel is the final of the four gospels, these kind of biographies, testimonies about Jesus and his life. And in chapter 15, John is in the middle of this thing, Jesus rather, but John is kind of relaying it to us, this thing called the farewell discourse. It's like Jesus is getting ready to go. And like any good leader, he's preparing his disciples, his followers, for what it's gonna be like after he goes. And he speaks about a number of different themes. John 13, he talks about service in 14 and uh, he talks about the spirit who's gonna become another counselor. In 15, he's talking about what it means to be connected to him and, and there's this image he uses of the vine and the branches and, and that really if, if his disciples are gonna follow on, if they're gonna be able to serve one another, if they're gonna able, be able to be one, and to be, which is what he talks about in chapter 17, if they're gonna be able to do this well, they need to be deeply, intimately connected to him at all times. And this is what we read in verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that wherever, whatever rather you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. What I think we have here is an insight into a new foundation. What I want to talk about today is this new foundation for the life of following Jesus. It's, it's actually a foundation for us individually. This is the foundation that connects us to our truest self. This is the foundation that if it's not too new agey <laughs> to say it, connects us to this destiny that God has for us. This is the foundation that connects us to the people we, we were created to be. This is the foundation that connects us to the existence that we were created for. This is the foundation that connects us as people to one another, to becoming a community 
who experiences Jesus together. This is the foundation that connects us to our city, to Long Beach. This is the foundation that is good news for this city of Long Beach. This is the foundation for world-changing activity in Christ. What's the foundation? Friendship. I wanna talk about friendship today and for the next few weeks. It's friendship. And I guess I wanna begin at the beginning, Genesis, and say that friendship is not just this idea that Jesus comes up with, although he very clearly and uniquely articulates it. But friendship is actually the whole vision for God's relationship to his creation from the outset. Now, I know that you're called the garden. So presumably Darren has done some some work in Genesis 1 and teaching about that. And I'm not gonna even attempt um, to kind of build a new foundation there. He's probably done it in Hebrew and Greek and 15 other languages. I see that you've got translation in Spanish here and I don't know, you know, he's doing it all here. So I'm not gonna try and say anything new about Genesis, but I do wanna look at a couple of little things and just try and show you, try and detail to you over the next few minutes that this is God's intention from the outset. And we see this right at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, if you wanna turn there, you can. What we read is this. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. It's the beginning of the Bible. But you've asked the question, why? Why did God do that? Imagine, if you will, God perfectly existing from all eternity, for all eternity, to all eternity, past, present, and future, if that's not a paradox. Perfectly existing, needing absolutely nothing. Wanting, lacking nothing. Perfectly sufficient. Existing as persons in relation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not lonely. He's not bored. He's not tired. He is enjoying his own company from all eternity. And he doesn't need to do anything. He could do that beautifully and perfectly without change, without blemish, forever. And yet, in one moment, if that's possible in all of eternity, he chooses in his freedom to create. He imagines a future in which there is another. Why? Why this whole expanse? Why this middle school? Why you? Why me? Surely it's out the abundance of his love. And theologians think different things, but for me it's this, out the abundance of his love, God overflows in love and desires to share his love with another. And I think we see evidence that that is the case through Genesis. What happens six times in Genesis 1 alone is that God blesses that which he creates. God called it good. Six times he calls it good. He creates it and he blesses it. And then once he's made Adam and Eve, he says, very good. God loves that which he makes. He desires to bless it. And in fact, the first time we come across something which isn't good, it's in Genesis chapter two, verse 18. What is it that's not very good? It's not good for man to be 
alone. The first not good thing in all of creation is isolation, it's loneliness, it's separation. This gives us the hint, doesn't it, that what's at the heart of God's intention for all of creation is relationship, is connection. Connection with himself. Connection with each other. Connection with all of creation. You know, we're created to be this interconnected web in relationship to God as he is in relationship to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What a beautiful image for this whole project creation. But that connection, that that relationship is uniquely described, I believe, by this concept of friendship. There's blessing, something is not good. What does it say about God? It's that God is seeking friends, not out of some inner need, but out of an abundance. That makes sense. That's not the way we work so often, is it, right? We're lonely, we experience lack, and so we seek to fill that lack with friendship. That's not bad. That's just that's what it means to be human. And God made us that. He made us thirsty and hungry for connection with each other. But we need to recognize that's not how God works. God doesn't seek to create friendship with us out of lack, but out of love. Out of abundance. Out of overflow. Right at the heart of this project is this concept of friendship. It sounds so obvious. And if you've been in the church, you know that you know, God wants a personal relationship with you. You know that kind of classic, that was my best American accent, by the way. It doesn't get any better than that, folks, I'm afraid. We know that God wants a personal relationship, and that's true. But because we've heard that so many times, and maybe you're new here, and that, that is news, and wonderful, it should be. Wonderful news, it is wonderful news. But it's not new news to us because maybe we've been around this before and we've heard that. We lose the essence and, and the shocking essence of that reality. Think about it. The ultimate, unchanging, holy, righteous, just, true, merciful Father, the creator, the all-powerful, the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the omniscient, the all-knowing one wants friendship with little old you and little old me. That is a radical concept. It's a concept that's entirely new within the scripture. It doesn't exist in in pagan culture. Aristotle said apparently that, there's some research folks, just in case you were worried. I did prepare this. (laughs) Aristotle said that the, the concept of a God becoming friends with his creation was as crazy as a workman being befriending his tools. It just didn't make any sense. You know, what, I, what I think we see here in Genesis and in fact in what Jesus says in John 15 is that this somehow in the economy of God is right at the heart of God's intention for his creation. Far from it being a secondary or tertiary purpose, this is something that's right at the heart of God's essence. And to be enfolded in his story is to be friends with him. I know this is so basic, 
but it's so foundational. Think about it. You're being invited into a friendship with an eternal God who needs nothing and chooses you. You're here because he's drawn you. You're here because he chose you. He imagined you. <laughs> We're driving up here just this morning. We're staying in Costa Mesa at the moment just because it's the only place we know. <laughs> we lived there for three and a half years. And driving up, and Amy and I are just full of memories because we used to say we used to live here and we left about four years ago. And every so often we'll just remind each other of a memory. And Grace and Joseph on the back seat of this big car, we have to have big cars everywhere we go. It's fortunate we're in America where every car is big, but <laughs> I mean, the roads are big. And, and, and we just rem- we're having these memories of, of, of life in America, and, and we share them. And Gracie and Joe say, you know, they say things like, was I there then? And I just this morning, they said that. And I said, no, that was before, that was before you were here. That, that was when only God had imagined you. You know, isn't that amazing that God imagined you? that God imagined me, that God imagined this, that there's no moment in your life where God God didn't imagine, that God wasn't there before you welcoming you into that moment as a friend, as as his beloved, that there's no... There's no point in your life at which God hasn't been and won't be present to you as a friend. Yes, there's more than a friend, as a father, as a as a lover, as a judge, holy and righteous. Yes, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to forget that gap that exists between the creation and the creator. I'm just saying that friendship exists in light of that gap and that it's the most extraordinary invitation any of us have ever received. What does friendship comprise of? What does it look like? I think we see three things in Genesis. Firstly, we see favor. (laughs) Friendship (laughs) includes this concept of favor. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Six times good, a seventh, very good. God's disposition to his creation and to you and I is favor. (laughs) I'm not preaching self-help here. I'm not saying that that's because you in yourself have any merit other than that which he gave to you. No. I'm saying because he made you in his image, because he chose to bestow his favor upon you and bestow it again in Christ Jesus, you have God's favor on you. God's word over you is yes. Because of Christ Jesus, I'm saying that his blessing is on you I'm saying that he is graciously disposed towards you. (laughs) Favor blesses his creation. Secondly, intimacy, not just favor, but intimacy. There's a couple of little images, little details, wrinkles in the story for like in Genesis 2, we read that he breathes. Verse seven, you don't have to open it, you don't have to read it, I'll read it to you. Then the Lord God formed a man, Adam, just means mankind, from the dust of the ground, breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This image, how intimate is that? I could have zapped him. I'd have zapped him. 
A good, you know, a good zapping. That is far more impressive. I would, if I was, if I was God, if I was, you know, if I knew this is going to be documented, I'd show him a good old zapping. I'd do it from a distance. I'd probably like zap backwards just to show that I didn't even need to look at him. Just zap. And he'd come to life. It'd just be that. And, you know, but for God, it's this breathing breath into Adam's nostrils. How intimate can you get? Genesis 3, it says that he walks with them. Goes looking for them. Even after the fall, how does he find them? He's looking for them. Intimacy, favor and intimacy, but not only favor and intimacy, also freedom. Genesis 2.16, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. (laughs) You're free. We read a lot about the prohibition. Don't eat, don't eat that, don't eat that bit. That's important. Freedom encompasses boundaries. True freedom includes the possibility and the necessity of boundaries. This is something we've, we've missed in our culture. We think that freedom, if I could be so bold, the freedom that's sold to, to us, the, the freedom of the American dream is not God's freedom. Freedom is not unlimited choice. Freedom is to choose, to have in your heart the desire to choose only the good, to become the kind of person who yearns for God. That's true freedom. And it encompasses boundaries. It's not, it's, not, it's not the gospel of Disney. You can be anything. You can be anyone. No, it's you can be God's someone. You can be fully free. You can be who he created you to be. Now, in some sense, that means to be limited to his design, to his imagination for you, and yet it means to be fully free. It means to become who you truly were intended to be. Does that make sense? Maybe. (laughs) That's freedom. That's life. That's what friendship is about. We know this is true. Friendship and friendship. Freedom is all about this dialogue between possibility and boundaries. This is how relationships work, isn't it? You have a great friend. They share, they freely share with you. For that relationship to work, there has to be a boundary. That boundary is known as secrecy. They share the secrets of their heart with you and you share them with somebody else. You've transgressed that freedom. But God creates us for freedom. One of your own prophets, Jefferson, his name was... (laughs) He said, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. It's good. I read that in my daughter's passport on the way over here. She's an American. Freedom. This is what friendship is about. Favor, intimacy, and freedom. But of course, Adam and Eve choose another way. Friendship is not a compelling enough offer for them. Instead of becoming God's friends, submitted to his rulership, in dependence to him, they choose autonomy. They want a freedom that is unencumbered. They want a freedom without limit, without limitation. They want freedom without obedience. Freedom without obedience leads to death. And in Genesis 3, we see this and, and the death that Adam and Eve experience and the death that you and I experience is described by fear, shame, and guilt. Separation, 
Isolation, it's not good for man to be alone and yet in the garden, Adam and Eve experience this aloneness. I could describe to you now my journey with these three things. With fear. Now fear is the sense that I'm not safe. I've lived so much of my life with that inner sense of not being safe. I'm gonna talk more about it next week. I'm gonna look at this concept of faith and fear. So much of my life I've been afraid. In fact, pretty much the the four years that I was in California, three and a half years, Amy and I were in California, God was dealing with this reliance, this dependence upon fear that I'd built up. It was almost as if I'd made an agreement with fear and I said, look, if I listen to you, you'll keep me safe. I'll never do anything whereby I could fail. That was my true fear. I had to wean, I had to be weaned off that. I had to find a greater fear, another friend. And that became, was a moment of renouncing fear. There was a moment where I was being prayed for. I had to say, fear, you're not my friend. Jesus is my friend. It might be fear for you. That may be where you live. Maybe it's shame. Fear says I'm not safe. Shame says I'm not enough. Again, check that box for me too. A lot of my fear comes out of the fact that I'm ashamed. I don't think I have it within me to do the things that I really want to do. I don't feel like I'm enough. Even so, you know, often when I, when I share with people in church, you know, often my response after this, doing this kind of thing is shame. If I'm really honest, that's, I feel that. I experience that more than I'd like to. The answer to it, sin does that. Separation, isolation. What we need is connection, friendship. Fear, shame, guilt. I've done wrong. I'm not in the right. Maybe you experienced that too. There are many things that we, each of us has done that we regret deeply. What we need is, is to be cleansed. We need some, what we need is somebody who'll connect us again. Somebody who can become as we are so that we might become as God is. Somebody who can reestablish relationships. Somebody who can restore friendship. We need somebody who can bear our fear, who can carry our shame. We need somebody who can take our guilt. We need reconciliation. Reconciliation is, a, is a, an old word which simply means restoration to favor. <laughs> we need favor to be restored and God in Christ Jesus has done this. He became as we are that we might become as he is. <laughs> he became broken humanity that we might be unified again with God. He became shame that we might know no shame. He experienced the sting of fear that we might not be afraid. He took our guilt. He bore our guilt that we might be guiltless. He renewed and restored friendship. And at the end of the Bible, we see this picture so perfectly painted in Revelation. This picture, Revelation 21, of a renewing of everything where there's no longer crying, there's no longer guilt, there's no longer fear or shame. This is the dwelling place of God, the dwelling place. That word in, in Greek, skene, is the same, means tabernacle. It's the same word that's used in John 15. The, the tabernacle, the dwelling place, the remaining place. 
The, the tabernacle of God is with men. God has come to be with his people. As he did that in Christ Jesus, so he is renewing and restoring the garden. So he is renewing and restoring friendship. This is the vision of the life that's truly life. A life in God's presence. A life where we don't need to fear, we don't need to be afraid, we don't need to be ashamed, we don't need to experience the sting of guilt because we've been forgiven and restored and renewed. Paul talks about this as being life in the spirit. I was praying with somebody after the first service and God gave me this picture as I was praying for this person of, of him sitting on this surfboard, just sitting there really peacefully. And not on the, not on, not on the sea, but in, on this river. And this river was just beautifully going downstream. And this stream, this river was of course the spirit of God. And, and my, my new friend, he wasn't my friend before, but my friend was just enjoying being taken by God, by the current of God, the Holy Spirit, to all the places that God would have him go. Not striving, not working, not seeking to perform, to perfect, to compete, to compare, but to be carried by God's wind, by his current, by his breath, by his spirit, under his blessing, experiencing his intimacy, This is life in the spirit. This is what it means to be friends with God. This is the life that you've been invited to. Taste and see, the scriptures say, that the Lord is good. This is the life that's truly life. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be ashamed. You've been invited. God's favor is on you. Jesus says this. Jump back to John 15 as I close. Favor. What does he say? Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. You did not choose me, I chose you. What does it mean to be favored? It means to be chosen. You know, I have this thing with my daughter, Grace. She loves it. I, I stole it from a friend of mine, pastor at another church. Now, I, every so often, I used to do it more than I do. I should do it again, but every, every so often, Grace will ask me to do the thing where I, I say, Gracie, you know, before you were born, and you know, look, I'm slightly stretching kind of reality here, but I, she doesn't seem to mind. <laughs> I say, Gracie, I chose you. It, it was as if I was standing in front of all the girls in the world. And I looked at all the girls, every single girl in the world, and I looked at them all and I said, oh, there's a really intelligent one. Gosh, she's beautiful, she's wonderful. She's great, but she's not mine. And there's another one, and and she likes playing sports, and she's got a lovely smile, but she's not mine. And I did that. I went along the line, Gracie, and I looked at each one until I saw you. And I said, that's, that's it. That's my girl. That's Grace. That's the one I want to be my daughter. And she comes alive when I say this to her. She's chosen. She experiences what it's like to be chosen. She experiences my favor. Now, little does she know, I have this thing where I say to all my kids, I get them on my knee and I say to them, don't tell the others. You're my favorite. <laughs> I'm hoping that lasts till well into, well into their 20s. <laughs> don't tell the others, you're my favorite. Favor, God's favor. And, and Jesus says, I chose you. You didn't cho- choose me. I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. You're chosen, guys. That's what favor means. 
Not, not only that, but he shares his secrets with you. What does he say? I no longer kill your servants, verse 15. A servant doesn't know his master's business. I've called you friends. Everything that I learned from my father, I've shared with you. Intimacy here, folks. Intimacy comes through self-disclosure. God the Father shares with Jesus the secrets of his heart, and Jesus shares them with us. That's intimacy. That's Jesus leaning down again, not to breathe his breath into our nose, but to speak his secrets into our ears. (laughs) Intimacy. Sharing the secrets of the Father with us. Favor, intimacy, freedom. Whatever, verse 16, you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Whatever freedom in my name, boundaries within the will of God, as we experience his favor and grow in his intimacy, God gives us the heart that is his heart so that whatever we ask, he appoints, he gives to us because we're so in line and in tune with his will and his heart. This is what friendship with God is like. This is what we've been invited to. Now, I don't know where this connects with your life this morning. Maybe you're brand new to this and you walk into this place this morning with a sense, an alive, a real alive sense of guilt, maybe, or shame or fear. You feel in some sense that you're not enough. You feel that you've done wrong. You're aware of that. You're connected with that reality. You feel that you're not enough. And Jesus this morning invites you to experience God's favor. He invites you to come and experience his intimacy and to walk in his freedom. Or maybe, like somebody who I was praying with earlier, and this is my story, you are following Jesus. You've acknowledged him as the way to life and yet you recognize the extent to which you slip into the other foundation, particularly the the desire, the the effort and the attempt to perform. You know that the river is not the thing you're floating on. Maybe you're seeking to swim against the current at times and you're exhausted seeking to earn his favor. Know this this morning, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. The sovereign Lord has anointed you to, to preach good news and to experience the favor of God. And we wanna do that together as we stand now. Why don't we stand and pray? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.